0: Welcome to Salted Hash. I'm J.M. Port, filling in for Steve Reagan, who is trapped here in a television set. Steve will be uh, regaling us with tales from DerbyCon, uh, plus uh, a little game of Chinese whispers you may have heard of over the weekend. We'll be right back. So, uh, how was DerbyCon? 2,000 people, bourbon consumed? Did anything interesting come out at the end?
1: Lots of stuff, actually. It was a a really good weekend. Um, So, most of my weekend, I spent uh, just basically mad rush memorizing all my slides for the talk that I gave with uh, Sean and Paul on Saturday, which was a lot of fun. Um, And then I, I talked to people who were taking part in the Mental health and wellness uh, workshop. Mm-hmm. Now, it's called a workshop, but I promise you, the the traffic that workshop got was more like a village all weekend long. And um, I interviewed Amanda, who created the entire thing. It was it's, it's her project from start to finish, and that was a really emotional interview. We'll have uh, we'll have that audio on the podcast coming up in the next couple of days, um, but. Let me tell you that that workshop I think is probably one of the most brilliant things that's happened in the security industry over the last year or so as far as like conferences and peer networking goes because it addresses a very taboo subject that everybody knows about everybody's familiar with but nobody wants to talk about it. Mm. and frankly I think we need it we need more of it and so I was really really happy to see that happen at Derbycon and I'm super proud of Amanda. I mean, my bias is showing, but I'm super proud of her for going through what she did. And then all of a sudden, you know, now she's she's turning it around and paying it forward to help others who are in a similar situation. So it's, it's four, fantastic
0: for viewers and myself who do not know uh, uh, Amanda and what she's been through. Maybe you could give us a little bit more background on that.
1: So uh, as you'll hear in the interview, um, InfoSister is her handle. She is Amanda Berlin. And she has struggled with depression and anxiety and a feeling of uh, imposter syndrome, for lack of a better term here. And she she's had a lot of support and help, and she's come to you know her own research and study. And she did a talk a few years back about this topic, and people resonated with the points she brought up. So she took it a step further. Instead of doing a 50-minute talk, she turned it into a workshop. And if you think about it, you know, depression, um drug use, alcoholism, suicide, these are things that have impacted the hacker community a lot over the last year or so. Mm. Actually, over the last decade if you want to be completely honest. Mm. And everybody's aware of it, but it's a taboo subject. Nobody really wants to bring it up, especially um a lot of guys in our community have a a, a tough time talking about it because it's a sign of weakness. Mm. Let's just face our demons here. I mean, For a lot of guys standing up and saying, I need help, that's a problem. Mm. It's it's a huge barrier to get over. And and it is for some women too. But having these these workshops or these villages and being able to connect with your peers who are facing the same demons you are, that is invaluable. You can't measure its worth. And so for Amanda to take the charge on that and go forward, I, I was just incredibly proud. It's an amazing thing to witness. And I talked to a few people who were in the village, and I'm just going to call it a village. But I talked to a few people who were in there, and they, they just looked and acted as if they were 100 pounds lighter. Like they, the weight had been lifted off their shoulders. They'd gotten something from it. And frankly, that I think that's the whole point of it. So it was really good to see, to see that kind of positive induction come out of the, the entire weekend for that one thing. And there was a lot of other stuff going on at Derby. not you know this wasn't the only thing? Like mm. um, the Catcher the flag contest is always a riot, so that was a lot of fun. Um, Offspring played. I got to see Offspring on Saturday
0: night. That was fantastic. Uh, for those of uh, us who have no idea what Offspring is, including me, skater music,
1: bud. Okay. Oh man, skater music, thrash metal. It, it, it's just it, it's harken back to my youth. Um, actually, I think Vanilla Ice played on a Friday night, which was, uh, that was different. That was, that was pretty different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it really was, man, it was a good weekend. There was a lot of great talks. Um, we did the the hacker media training talk on Saturday morning and we got a lot of really great questions after the session was over that we'll probably end up incorporating into the actual talk when we give it again, because it's just, they were, they were really keyed in to wanting to learn how to speak to the media and deal with the media, but th- those barriers to entry are always going to be there. So anything we can do to help them get over those hurdles, mm. it's better for you and me, obviously, in our profession, but it's also going to be better for the researchers and everything because now they can drive their message and not have to worry about misquotes or anything like that.
0: You have a call, Steve? Yeah, not anymore. You've just Call's won the
1: prize. <laughs> yeah, actually, it looked like it was an auto dialer too. And be surprised?
0: No, I, I think it, it's it's the incredible un- uncertainty uh, of of so many much security issues that makes people very anxious. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I, I think even as, as as journalists, we feel that too. I know I certainly do. Hmm? Hmm.
1: Oh, I I struggle every day with uh, imposter syndrome. I mean, I I talk to my friends and my peers. You know, people I've written alongside and you know, read for decades. And I, I, I still have to remind myself that, yeah, I am good enough to be in the same room with Joseph Cox or Kim Zetter or Dan Gooden or, you know, Sean Gallagher or Paul Wagonsale. I have to remind myself that, yeah, I am, I am an okay journalist. I don't deserve to sit on the sidelines. It's okay if I, I expect to feel proud of my work and it's hard, dude. It can be, it can Mm. be very hard.
0: Mm. We all find our own ways to cope. Including vaping.
1: Hey, believe me, you'd rather have me vaping than chain some chain smoking. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, what else? What else happened at uh, DerbyCon? Uh, Game of Chinese Whispers, I hear.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So the Bloomberg story dropped just before uh, DerbyCon. Mm. Yeah, happened and. Uh, there were a lot of conversations about it. In fact, on our talk Saturday, the very first question we were asked were what our what our opinions were of the the Bloomberg story, which we were not going to stand on stage in front of a live camera and, and answer that one because we have a mixed bag of opinions. And, uh, for, um,
0: for those not following the reference, this is the you Paul and Sean journalist yeah. roadshow. Uh, how yeah. to how to talk to journalists for infosec pros?
1: Yep, research is basically it's media training for hackers. And Which so they all they actually, fucking need <laughs> Oh yeah, they need it desperately uh, So it's it's a thing where you know We have our opinions about this Bloomberg story And of course all of you watching this By now you know what, what we're talking about I mean, mm. it was probably the biggest Security story last weekend Bloomberg's published a second story uh, Related to the first But the whole gist is Their supply chain attacks mm. And I'll just give you my personal opinion About the Bloomberg story it's garbage. And I don't say that lightly. Um, at no point while reading that story did I get a sense that the journalist confidently saw evidence of the claims they were making. And that is a big deal. You have to be able to to at least independently verify as much as you can before you publish a story of that scale. And I didn't see that happen. See, well, but, that worries me. I mean, but this, is,
0: th- this is a real problem uh, across the board for security reporting because too few journalists have the technical chops to independently verify something. And so they are completely re- re- dependent upon sources who may or may not have an agenda mm-hmm. they are driving. And then you're no longer being an independent journalist. You're being played by, mm-hmm. by forces that you do not fully uh, understand who are pushing an agenda.
1: Exactly, and in fact, in the Bloomberg story, some of the sources have come forward and either say that their contacts were uh, their comments were given a year ago, before like any hard context. There's uh, one in particular in this news story. He gave an interview to a different publication and he said, you know, flat out said, "I think Supermicro uh, was was innocent in all of this." And for me, the the big bottom line here isn't whether or not the accusations in Bloomberg's story are true or false, or if they're all made up, or even to, to some degree, if the journalist got played. Mm. My fear is the backlash on this story is going to detract from the real threat that is a supply chain attack. Mm. It's been going on for decades. Supply chain vulnerabilities are probably the biggest risk to an enterprise or a, DM, uh, a defense contractor, because... There are so many ways to attack, attack a supply chain. You just – you really can't, you know, there, there are so describe many, one leveler over the other.
0: I mean there are so many non-detectable ways to, to, to do this that unless you have a scanning electron microscope and a budget to start looking at some stuff, that yeah. you're never really going to know. So, I mean, I guess what really concerns me is, is the timing. Uh, because it, it uh, uh, you know, uh, correlation is not causation, but we see this Pence memo demonizing China, just like timed almost at the exact same moment as this article. And uh, yep. is, is this a, is this supposed? uh questionable evidence designed to further some some uh, foreign policy acts to grind of the current vice president or the the administration as a whole you know is is this quote unquote fake news or is it uh, just you know uh, you know it, it, because it could be completely true without sufficient evidence we don't know yeah. it could be complete nonsense or it could be anything in between and we have no evidence to prove either way
1: yeah and the fact of the matter is, a lot of the evidence we would need to, to sway one way or another, we'll probably never see because, you know, classified anonymous sources. Mm. But the the thing is, when you look at, like, let's just pull on one of those threads, you know, like it's this it's a time to make China the boogeyman again. Keep in mind that uh, just over the weekend, I think it was late last week, the Justice Department announced the arrest of a Chinese uh, or warrant against a Chinese hacker. One of the two uh, charges are an arrest. One of the, one or the other. But. Uh, CrowdStrike uh, issued like a, a an alert that said expect the MSS to to respond heavily to this and okay so now China's the boogeyman again i mean what what what's the deal with all this i mean china's never actually gone away you know yeah we saw attacks from china drop off since 2016 but does that mean they stopped or does that mean we stopped
0: detecting them and I mean, so, it's so close to the midterm elections that you have to mm-hmm. wonder if this is designed to further a particular political party's agenda. Who knows?
1: I, I, I would not be shocked if it was leveraged to further an agenda. I mean, I have yeah, I no proof. I mean, I have no proof no either. Proof, but
0: but it, 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 it's like as a journalist, this smells fishy. Something yeah. really fishy is going on here. This does not smell like a rock solid scoop to me.
1: No, and in fact, like I and I I've, I've told uh, several people this. When I read the story the first time, I had to stop and read it again just to make sure I understood what I was reading. And then I read it a third time because I was trying to to find the narrative. <laughs> this whole story comes off to me as a really bad game of telephone. Mm. One anonymous source told another anonymous source who told another anonymous source who talked to a reporter. And you you really can't see how these, these points connect, even though they're kind of laid out in that story. They're still disconnected. Like at one point, I was actually confused. Are we still talking about uh, Supermicro and it's their supply chain? Or are we talking about Apple and it's their supply chain? Mm. Because even though Supermicro is in Apple's supply chain, mm. Supermicro has their own supply chain to deal with. You know, these are two separate threads we need to look at here. You can't just combine them into one, mm. but yet you can't tell that from the story when you're reading it.
0: Something's wrong there. I don't know what. But yeah, I, and it, it just it just f- makes the entire issue foggy, uh, foggy and fuzzy, and just so that nobody really knows what's going on. Yeah.
1: But it's really easy to jack up enough buzzwords in a story to generate interest and recognizability because you know hearing that Apple may have been popped by China even if it's not true and Apple's issued all of these denials mm. that's still you know that's gonna get a lot of people's attention but but let's focus on that for a second you're a journalist JM you've been doing this as long as I have have you ever in your life seen Apple issue a statement that verbose and that detailed to no anything
0: no man. Those denials are rock solid. Like, if those if those denials ever turned out to be false, nobody would ever believe a word Apple ever said again. Like, exactly. Apple's business is built on trust, trust in their handset, and they're not going to make those statements. Statements that if they were false, would would you know cost them ruin hundreds them. of billions exactly. of dollars. You it know, would
1: ruin them. So, but but and, that's- and that's the thing. When that statement came in, would that or would not have. That not have been a giant red flag to you enough to actually consider killing
0: the piece entirely. I'd want to be doing some double extra sure fact checking to be honest. Yeah, but then like, the, here's I, the other I, thing. Here's the other thing. Like, like you know, that there are compliance people at Apple who do not tell everything to the CEO because the CEO is bound by SEC regulations. And if there is some sort of backdoor government program thing going on, the CEO is not going to know about it. The the, nope. the, the their head lawyer is not going to know about it because nope. they are not allowed to know about it because if they knew then they'd have to they'd have to comply with SEC regulations so you know the Apple denial is an app a denial that I believe the the CEO of Apple and chief legal counsel believe to be true that does not mean it is true because what if there is some you know secret government yeah. program that, that that they are not aware of I mean yeah, Apple's I a big company
1: the one who wrote the letter instead their head of security I think is the the one who put the letter out and uh, issued such the, l- the lengthy statement. But at the same time, you're right. Uh, but for me, just that statement alone was enough to be like, well, well. now I have to go back and look at all of my sources and all of the materials. And again, they've been working on this story since 2017. So yeah. I have to go back over a year's worth of interviews, and now I need to re-interview everybody. I need to go back and make sure all of this is done. And what's interesting is Kim Zetter was tweeting about this. Apparently, mm. fact-checkers at Bloomberg didn't contact the named sources in the story. Mm. Really? How, how does that happen?
0: Well, you, you, you know, th- this is not the first time Bloomberg has written um, questionable infosex stories. Like, I, I think about the Hacking the hospital story they did two years ago. I
1: got a, I got a scoop off of a Bloomberg story uh, the, the same reporters, mind you, a couple years back. It's the uh, nation-state of Tennessee. I actually wrote a story, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have to to go back and dig the notes out. But here's the funny thing. A researcher was doing um, a a basic – he set up a honeypot, and he he was just allowing things to to go around. And one of the security companies was scanning, and they came across this researcher's data and his his network, and they thought it was a nation-state attacker. And it's like, no, that's a researcher doing sweeps. What's wrong with you? And the thing was, uh, it's uh, Stephen Hill was the researcher. But I mean, the, the thing was, it's just these kind of things get hyped up because when you have people who don't understand the full technical aspects of it, it gets it spirals out of control really quick. You know, a little bit of fact checking went a long way in that, and that's where my scoop came from. It's the fact that I just I talked to the right people and found out that yeah, these IP addresses, they were honeypots ran by this security researcher. How could you have not known that if your entire security model that you're selling to the public is knowing what IPs are what and what actors are what? How did you miss a honeypot? Mm. And not like a custom honeypot. This is an off the shelf honeypot that everybody can use. How did you miss that?
0: I don't know. I don't know,
1: man. Actually, uh if you pull up uh Twitter Rob Lee was talking about uh talking about it the other day. Of Dragos? Yeah. He he actually name dropped me when he was talking. He pointed out to the story. But yeah, it was like the nation state of Tennessee is what we we coined it. It was it was a, a meme after a while. Mm.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, Bloomberg has a track record over several years of pushing sensationalized uh, infosex stories of mm, questionable. Validity. Like, uh, I used to rely heavily on a source named Billy Rios, who is a wonderful expert in medical device security. And Bloomberg ran a story two years ago called Hacking the Hospital that was sensationalized fear-mongering about uh, security vulnerabilities in hospitals. And Billy Rios was just like, I'm never talking to the press again, because everyone just hated on him so much for some of the things he said in the article.
1: There was I mean, the, definitely. yeah.
0: I mean, there was the Sepulveda article about the Colombian hacker. There was uh, the, the pipeline story that turned out to be bogus and they never retracted the pipeline in Syria that supposedly got hacked, but apparently was never hacked at all. Yep. Um, yeah, you know, so, you, so this seems to be not just two reporters, it's two reporters and an editorial department that supports their work 100% going down a path that may not be uh, the best reporting.
1: I've talked to a number of other reporters here over the last couple of days, and a few of them have actually floated the idea that maybe the reporters were completely blindsided, and they were, they were just played. They were played to the left. And I believe it, they they just they they took advantage of the fact that here's a really sexy story. But the catch is you have to have anonymous sources. And so they weighed the the yin and yang of it and decided to run with it. But it turns out it was all smoke Mm. or maybe it was just enough technical accuracy that it feeds into the hype that that soon ensued. But I don't know. And the thing is, I don't want to believe that they were played because that, that that would hurt. I mean, even though it's not my story, it would still hurt me too. Because that's that's a risk we take when we deal with anonymous sources. And sometimes, no matter how much fact checking we do, we still get played. Mm. But I think, arguably, if they 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 did get played and they did all their their verification, then you were played by a master, and there's nothing you do about it. But if it turns out that some simple follow-up checking would have prevented all of this, that's a huge problem. Mm. And that leads me to my other point that I was asking all weekend is where were the editors?
0: Well, if the editors are no less or no more technically competent than the reporters, that's not going to do anyone much good. Yeah,
1: true. But unless they demanded to see proof. Like there are some cases where the editors actually know the – Person behind the anonymous quote or the, the information, even though it's not shared with the public, the editorial staff knows it. The oh, reporter knows it.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I was the editor or, or, or lawyer for, for Bloomberg for this story, I'd be like, you don't have to publish it, but you need, you need to tell, tell me who it is. I mean, you know, at the, yeah, at the bare minimum.
1: To, yeah. We have to be able to protect ourselves. So I, I have to wonder if maybe there's somebody up in the chain in Bloomberg that can actually just say, yeah, well, this is verified. We're standing behind it. The public doesn't believe us, but we're still right. Maybe that's the case.
0: I, I would welcome that. Like like if someone very senior in Bloomberg publicly said, look, uh, this information has been shared with me personally. I know who these people are and I stand behind this story 100%. I would be like, OK, that's interesting. That yeah, I mean, really would. that would be like a huge statement for Bloomberg, you know,
1: especially especially if the statement came from Bloomberg's counsel. Yeah. They would be the ones that would have to go fight it should, should Supermicro decide to say, you know what, I'm tired of my stock falling down. This is this is going to be a problem.
0: Mm. I don't know. Crazy. Probably my second reaction to that story was that, okay, we all know about hardware supply chain attacks, but um, things like firmware and Intel ME basically got ignored. Uh, you know, Joe Fitz had a really interesting uh, thread on Twitter about just how it's, it's not as easy as it sounds to surreptitiously insert uh, covert... A hardware backdoors. It's actually surprisingly difficult. It's not a, a trivial task at scale. It was like, look, you know, firmware backdoors are are way easier and scale way better than hardware backdoors. And then you have like the American version, Intel ME, which is basically a backdoor in every Intel chip, uh, which we aren't even talking about because that Intel ME is is. is Far from secure, and I'm sure anyone, any nation state worth its salt has found vulnerabilities in Intel ME and is using Intel ME to hack whatever you know uh, in Intel-based chipset in the world they feel like hacking. So it's it's fine and dandy. It's 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 fine and reasonable to talk about hardware backdoors and you know the risk of Chinese uh, inserting hardware backdoors you know into America-bound products or whatever. But let's not ignore the you know put that in context. Context. You know, what is the context here? You know, we have Intel M- ME to deal with. We have firmware backdoors to deal with. All of these things are way easier to deal with than, than than, than you know, China slipping stuff into fabs and, you know, Shenzhen or whatever. Um, so, you know, I don't know. In, in context, it doesn't seem that, that, that big a deal. Like there's no. there's other other fish to fry. Things that I would be like, let's solve these. Let's move down the stack and solve problems going down before we worry about yep. the fab level. You know, yep. you know, tell Intel to get that out of out of you know their chips. You know, let's move down the stack, securing as we go, as opposed to you know fear mongering about a very difficult uh, attack, such as a hardware attack.
1: I'm still blown away by how quickly it, it just escalated, like it did. I mean. When you, when you get government agencies, like just like I think either over the weekend or maybe it was earlier today, I was just reading a story about it. You know, the one of the, the directors at the FBI is telling Congress, don't believe what you read or don't believe everything you read. You know, be careful with what you read, I think was the, the actual line. Jesus. Boy being, it's like you've got you've got actual government agencies now looking at a story going, uh-uh, it's. No, and this feeds the fake
0: news narrative. I mean, I mean yeah, th- this hurts. Really th- this hurts tech reporting as a whole. Those of us who are trying to tell the true story are now like, no, people aren't going to believe our reporting because these <laughs> it up. Yeah,
1: and what's even worse is sometimes we have. When it comes to a big story, you are going to have anonymous sources that you can't name. Yeah, and now stuff like this is why any story with anonymous source is just going to be discounted or. Maybe it won't even get written at all because the editors will be tired of it, mm. or the publications themselves will be tired of it, and they just won't allow it. Mm. Now what?
0: Well, what else can we talk about today, Steve?
1: Hmm.
0: You know, I was uh, I was
1: poking around on the internet while I was waiting for... Uh, As the, you do. Yeah, waiting, waiting for some stuff to clear on the server, and... Uh, I came across an interesting discussion about – I'm trying to think of what I could say in public that won't get this guy in trouble because he later – so he had found a way to basically get free Wi-Fi out of the United Club and uh, it was actually a lot simpler do you think than like it didn't require a man in the middle it didn't require any kind of brute forcing it was just you know oh look at that if you just scan traffic now you you too can gain access and uh he ended up deleting the post but i got i got to thinking about like when you're in the airport and you've got all these you know you you can watch an ad and get free wireless you get the clubs with the free wireless there's like a Every now and then you can see like a Pogo thing that you rent a movie, but you get free wireless if you connect to it and stuff like this. And I'm just – how many of those are completely compromised but the public just is never aware and they just pwn people day in and day out? Like you've seen the meme with with like the charging stations at the airport. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and plug your phone into that. Realistically though, how many of those are actually booby traps? Like, how many of those are are straight-up malicious no matter what?
0: Well, I mean, uh, while there's certainly the the threat of of sort of targeted attacks like that, Uh, for me, you know, I think the—as the Snowden documents revealed, you know, the the, the governments are spying wholesale on Internet traffic. Oh, Steve, you go away. Come on. I'm right here. You're you're, you're trapped in the box.
1: Yeah, Chris moved me around. (laughs) He was just like, I'm tired of seeing this kid. Yeah. Yeah,
0: We're done. (laughs) No, but the— uh, the The government's spying wholesale on internet traffic at airports for quote unquote security reasons. Uh, like I took Amtrak up to Boston from New York to be here. to to shoot today, and there is a crazy firewall on on, on Amtrak that basically lets you do nothing. Uh, And I I, I conceive that that is a deliberate choice by Amtrak security in cooperation with, I don't know who, DHS or FBI, to make it as difficult as possible for people to do anything non-normative besides, you know, ports 80 and 443 and basically anything else you're screwed. And I I suspect that all of this unencrypted... uh, Wi-Fi traffic in airports is a deliberate choice to downgrade security for passengers, so the government can engage in mass surveillance of passengers in the name of security.
1: I mean, I don't know, but I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, mm. I, I I've come to expect just about everything at this point. I'm I'm horribly jaded in my old age, mm. but it, it just I don't know. I, I was. Still dwelling on the the Bloomberg story, and then I was reading this guy's post, and then he deleted it, and I'm like, well, why would you delete that? I mean, it's, I get it, but why? And I just got to thinking about all the other stuff in the airport that's just sitting there in the open. You want to know about Google's data breach that they covered up and then decided? Data breach? It got, I don't know. Man, w- yeah. Was it even a breach? Like, did- no, it was just an API that overexposed a bunch of crap. It's you had to be authorized to see it. I wouldn't call it a breach but how they they discovered it and then suddenly they're like, yeah, we'll fix it. And the news of it came out, and they're like, ah, we'll just shut down Google+. Plus. Goodbye. <laughs>
0: See, th- that story, again, feels like Google's spin. Like, first of all, it wasn't a data breach. So far as we know, no data was ever actually exposed. It was exposed, but, like, it's like you leave your door open, but no one actually robbed the house. So
1: Yeah, it was, it was only to, like, developers. Like, it was there if you were looking for it and
0: requested it, but it's not like it was just willy-nilly given out to everybody, right? And my understanding was that nobody actually exploited that vulnerability. And furthermore, it was Google who found it in-house, not an outside uh, researcher. That's how, I mean, maybe I, I've missed something. That's how I understand the story. So I'm just like, so it, you found the vulnerability in-house. No data was ever taken. Nothing ever happened. So what is the deal with this? It's Why are you copying to something that that isn't even a problem? Is this like an excuse to kill Google Plus? Is there some other... Is there some other spin behind this? Like, uh, it, again, it it feels like Google's spin for reasons uh, unclear.
1: I mean, you could be 100% right, though, that, that it's spin just to give them a reason to kill off plus. I mean, honestly, I'm waiting for Google plus plus. I think that's where they're going with this. I think, you know, that's just the next evolution for them because, mm. Are you really not seeing the joke here with G++? God, am I that bad? No,
0: I'm seeing it, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to Google Minus Minus.
1: Oh, man, man. Less Google is probably going to be a good thing going on in the future.
0: because uh, Google Minus Minus has a name. That name is GDPR.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Good point. Good point. But no, I mean, I was a little little confused about that. I mean, I wasn't shocked to see Google Plus going away because I don't think anybody uses Google Plus no, anymore. No. I mean, at first, Google Plus was required for like really good search engine ranking. Like it, you were penalized if you have one. Yeah. And then they did away with that because they got so many complaints. And then people just kind of left Google Plus. Like I don't, I don't think anybody actually used it other than it was a requirement to have a Google profile. That was it. But but yeah, I didn't I didn't really get the the whole point of breach or no breach or anything like that because like you, I understood it to be they found it in house and aside from maybe a, a developer or something nobody actually saw the information that was being overshared.
0: Mm. Say goodbye to the Steve Reagan locked inside of a flat panel TV. Hopefully you get out soon there, Steve. Yeah, if not I'm going to have to just keep your TV. Sorry. That's all right. We'll lock you in the closet with with the other one. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys soon. Yeah, this has been Salted Hash. Check us out. Csoonline.com.